Hey there, my name is Ushin Lunny and this is Audio Talks, a bi-weekly podcast on all things audio presented to you by Harman. Every episode, we strive to bring you some of the most interesting, innovative and inspiring people from the world of music and great audio. And this week's episode is called Music Unites, and it's all about the power of music to bring people together and to act as a catalyst for social change. And this week, I'm very honoured to be joined by two trailblazers in many fields connected to music and its role in making the world a better place. DJ Nicole Mudaber is an event promoter, record label founder, radio show host, social activist, and one of the most passionately followed DJ producers in the world. She runs her own label, Mood Records, several large-scale events, and an award-winning weekly radio show, In The Mood, which is syndicated across the globe to 80 stations in 50 countries, with over 20 million listeners worldwide every week. Singer, songwriter, and innovator, musical weirdo and visionary, BT Wolf is an artist who has beamed her music into space and been appointed a UN Women Role Model for Innovation. She held an acclaimed solo exhibition of her world-first album designs at the Victoria and Albert Museum and was named by Wired magazine as one of 22 people changing the world. Welcome to the podcast, Nicole and BT. Now, music is our universal language. We understand it before we understand spoken language and dancing to a beat is coded into our DNA. So the right message shared in the right way can reach a lot of people and affect a lot of change. Why do you think it's important today to use your musical platforms to bring people together? BT. It's funny because actually one thing that got published today was this TED Med talk I gave precisely about this, about the power of music and how deep it really goes. Um, And it was, you know, mainly about this research project I did looking at how music can help people with dementia, um, which was inspired by Oliver Sacks, which then formed this charity. And, you know, it was the first study to look at music that was actually unfamiliar and show that it was still having the same kind of impact. I just feel like, you know, we are a musical species more than anything else. You know, that's something Dr. Neurologist Oliver Sacks observed. And, you know, music imprints on the brain deeper than any any other human experience. So I feel like right now, at a time when in many ways we're more disconnected than ever, and a lot of that is because of technology, you know, so my work and my kind of thinking around this has always been what can we reclaim, what needs to be preserved, and where can we innovate? Um, and I think a lot of you know what makes us human beings, art, music, you know, things that connect us, they don't need to be constantly reinvented. Um, so yeah, I just I feel like you know music is one of the great connectors in life, and it's it it doesn't know any kind of divides you know it's um whether it's language or belief systems or age or whatever it just brings people together and i think we really need that right now a musical species i love it nicole you launched a digital fundraising event together for beirut which saw 24 dj's perform in 24 hours to raise money for the people of beirut who were affected by the dreadful blast in the heart of the city this year and a second event took place recently just in september how did you put this together and what has the reaction been like from the dance music community 
It was overwhelming, to say the least, after the blast that happened in Beirut on August 4th. That was a month and a half ago. I mean, I was in Ibiza and Mykonos for a little break. And uh, I got the call and I had to rush back to London to work on the fundraiser. My friend uh, Karen Young from White Tulum, who's half Lebanese as well, teamed up with me and we just locked it in 72 hours. I was like 10 hours a day on the phone calling our friends and peers in the dance music industry. And the response was just incredible. Everyone said yes uh, instantly to help us in this cause. Even the most difficult artists agreed to it immediately. And so that goes to show you that uh, our community is about love and unity. And these are the foundations our culture was built on. And the reaction was simply pure. Everyone was on board and helping us uh, raise. And we did, we did raise uh, more than 55K in 24 hours. We had Beatport and NGOs from the States, uh, the Lebanese Red Cross in Lebanon. We all joined forces. And uh, uh, it's just a testament that uh, music really unites. And uh, it's just a positive vehicle that we have and we must use it any way we can. Beatty, your previous endeavours have included pioneering new formats for music that bridge the physical and digital using cutting-edge, even space-age technology. But your latest project uses a very analogue medium. Talk to us about the Postcards for Democracy project. Yeah, well, it's funny. I, I kind of see everything I do as being a combination of analogue and digital and finding, you know, the the sort of sweet spot between um, tangibility and everything that I love and everything I loved about the physical music listening experience um, but then also using technology to sort of reimagine that you know for today realizing that we lost a lot you know when we moved just from physical to digital um, and so those three things you know tangibility storytelling and ceremony which were very much part of you know v- vinyls and tapes and CDs and and I sort of identified that those three things were missing, you know, in the digital experience and actually in many ways um, kind of made it very difficult for something to imprint, you know, so that it stayed with you, so it moved you, so it sort of cut through the noise. Um, and in that same vein, you know, letters and postcards, mail, it's another tangible art form that I think is lost, you know, it's, it's something... I kind of feel we need to reclaim as well. Um, so I've always been a you know passionate mailer, even when friends were like, "Why are you writing me a letter? We can chat on Skype," you know. But that was that was a medium I really loved. And then during lockdown, it was sort of the one thing that was keeping me sane, really, as well as writing songs. And you know, I'd, I'd become friends with Mark Mothersbar from uh, Devo and. We had this sort of shared appreciation of both 
a sort of retro familiar experiences, but then also futuristic ones. Um, and we'd been talking about how we could collaborate because, you know, it's pretty rare you meet someone that is in that kind of ballpark of your thinking. And Mail just felt like, oh, that could be really lovely, like doing a, a sort of exhibition of people's letters in lockdown, you know, this sort of mailbox menagerie. And then when everything kicked off very intensely with USPS here, it felt like, wow, we can do this project and have so much fun doing this, but also we can be supporting this vital institution and our right to vote. Um, and so it just seemed to tick all the boxes of where we met artistically, but also what felt needed in the world, you know, at, at this point in time. So yeah, it's, it's an art demonstration where we ask people to create a postcard or augment a postcard and send it to us. Um, and then we are making a, a sort of digital gallery and a physical installation out of the cards. Um, and yeah, we've just, we've had like such a deluge so far. Mark says we could uh, fill a room in the White House, even, you know, with two weeks worth of the mail. So uh, yeah, it's, it's been wonderful. Oh, fantastic. We will link to the Postcards for Democracy website in the show notes. And Nicole, you've been described as a speaker of truth and a real campaigner for social justice. How important has it been for you to use your platform to give something back? And where do you think this comes from? Well, it came from a particular event that uh, happened to me uh, when I was in Beirut back then. It was in the late, in the late 90s. And, uh, you know, a woman in the Middle East, a promoter venturing into the clubbing world, uh, wasn't uh, ladylike as such. And it was because the scene was considered very dangerous and a gangster environment for a girl like me. And so one day I threw a party on Halloween and... All the gays in the city took advantage and came to the party dressed in such a flamboyant manner, living their best life after the war, obviously. <laughs> and uh, during that night, we had undercover press, the equivalent of the GQ or Cosmopolitan in that region at the time. And uh, the front cover had my name on it, uh, Homosexuality and Perversion in Beirut. Yes, yes. Then I got a call from the moral police come down and uh, <laughs> give a deposition about what happened that night. And uh, yeah, I was going to be the example for everyone that weekend. It was on a Friday afternoon. There was no judge available to sign any release form. But luckily, yeah, my sister is a lawyer and she pulled some strings and I was out after six hours being detained. And I have to say this experience, this experience fueled a lot of anger in me. And, and I discovered something about myself, uh, which is uh, righteousness, you know, or being righteous. If I didn't have someone behind me to help me out in the situation, I would have been in there for God knows how long. So, uh, you know, I, I thought to myself, what about the ones that don't have a pole or a voice to get out? What about them? And I actually felt very embarrassed uh, 
because it seemed so easy for me and I was lucky. And it all spiraled from there. It was my duty to use my platform. It was an obligation, actually. Amazing. Oh, that's wonderful. I'm so glad that the moral police, uh, it backfired on them and they actually lit this righteous fire that's still burning today. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I gave them the two fingers. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. They deserved it. That's brilliant. Big time, yes. <laughs> <laughs> nice. They knocked on the wrong door. Let's put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's a wonderful outcome. <laughs> And uh, Viti, come on over to your good self. Uh, you mentioned earlier about one of your earliest projects, and it was about the power of music to help people with Alzheimer's. And uh, you also very recently gave the TEDMED talk about the overlap between music and health. Do you think the importance of music for health is something we should be talking about more, particularly during the pandemic? A, a thousand percent. Um, I think it is so... Uh, it's it's something we ha we all have or you know many of us have in some way um at our disposal and it's so rarely utilized um but it's also this thing of you know so as an example Oliver Sacks showed the power of music for every neurological condition from autism to schizophrenia Parkinson's to dementia. And just because I had family members living with dementia, you know, that was the avenue I ended up taking. Um, but really not expecting to start a research project. Just, you know, I just felt like I'd read some of the most inspiring material of my life. And when I realized that family members were, you know, in that space, I thought, okay, I'll take my guitar and I'll, I'll play to them, you know, and that then evolved into this research project. And then I was, you know, with the top neurologists from Stanford and, you know, all these incredible people that were then picking my brain about what we'd found out. And so it just started this whole journey I was never planning to go on. Um, but it really strengthened, you know, my my belief and my resolve that music is that we know so little about what music actually does. You know, it's almost like space, you know, deep space and the oceans, you know, music and the brain. And when I say music and the brain, it sounds clinical, but it's ultimately, you know, pure enlivening, connecting, activating. And that is us being fully alive and present. And music is one of those things that does it. But it just also happens that on a neurological level, you can also see that. I feel like when I saw some of the responses, you know, someone who's catatonic getting up and dancing and not because it's a song they've heard before, not because they're hearing Elvis and it's triggering a memory, but a song they, they haven't heard before. And it's still working in that kind of transformative fashion, I just felt like everyone has to see this and realize this because imagine if you could cut down the number of meds people are on, particularly in America, um, and the the solution is music, something that is, that is free and um, that won't have any bad side effects, really, you know, okay, maybe it won't have some amazing effect, but I just feel like sometimes it's so obvious and simple, but we complicate it so much. It's like also in the same way that we shouldn't be seeing people as the other, you know, people that are experiencing 
neurological conditions, like that shouldn't be this sort of, oh, you know, we then have to figure out this special treatment for them. It's like, no, how would you like to be enlivened if you were in, you know, that situation? What do you think would cut through? What would move you? We kind of see it as, you know, us and them. And actually it's just about maintaining our vitality um, and trying to sort of think about uh, how are we, you know, on a day-to-day basis, how are we experiencing life? You know, are we getting deep ceremonial moments that are really moving us or are we just on autopilot? You know, it's all of those things. But we have tools at our disposal that are that are free and that are, you know, accessible to a lot of people, like even sending a postcard, you know, these things that we can do that actually instantly connect us. So I just feel it's about all of that kind of stuff, you know, and making people realize that there are things that we can do that are seemingly really obvious, but often underutilized. Yeah, I, I look forward to it being used more in the field of healthcare for sure. I think um, that would that would be a wonderful future, and uh, I think any anybody who's interested in this should check out BT's TED Med talk and also her previous project around Alzheimer's, which is uh, all available through her website. And we will link to that as well, of course, in the show notes. Uh, Beatty, you're a UN Women Role Model for Innovation. And Nicole, you are an ambassador for the Association for Electronic Music. And uh, in very different and distinct ways, you are both undoubtedly inspiring the next generation of social activists and music industry professionals. Is it important um, in your work to help provide an on-ramp for young women who want to get into the industry? It's very important. And actually, I am involved in uh, a non-profit organization called the Lower East Side Girls, based in Lower Manhattan. And um, it's two incredible women who put together uh, this project and raised $20 million to build the state-of-the-art building in the smack of Lower East Manhattan. And uh, it's mainly to help uh, girls who come from lower income families. And and so they put together this project. You, you find music rooms in there. You've got a radio station in there. You've got a planetarium, a state-of-the-art planetarium, a kitchen to help, you know, and they teach them whatever they like. And help them pursue their dreams and follow their passion. And obviously I pulled a lot of strings in the only way I know, which is through my industry. And I helped them build uh, this music room. So I contacted people like Native Instruments and teachers to help with the programs, uh, whatever I can lay my hands on. Uh, Donations, obviously. And we did great. Those girls are the happiest girls on the planet. And it's amazing to see how they're growing into becoming themselves and, you know, their God-given talent as such. Uh, And Beatty, coming over to yourself, talk to us a bit about the work that you're doing with the UN and, uh, you know, how it's inspiring women in the field of innovation and in the field of music. I think it's really fascinating. I think it was 2019, last year, I was uh, appointed a a UN Women Role Model for Innovation, which was all pretty surreal because, you know, again, I I feel like I've just kind of explored what 
fascinates me. Um, and, you know, from a young age, I was never really comfortable with labels, boxes, you know, any of that. Like, and so both in terms of fields, you know, being a musician, but working in science and health and art and, you know, with all these different types of collaborators and, and kind of often, you know, intersecting into these other fields. And then also just as a human being, you know, because I, I kind of feel like we're all human beings, you know, and that was always how I saw it. So I never really saw it from a, even a gender perspective at all. Um, and I was just doing what made sense to me in my weird brain. And then, you know, the, the UN women asked me to be, you know, one of these role models. Um, and it was amazing. It was incredibly, you know, humbling and, and inspiring in the, the people that I was, you know, selected with alongside, um, it was a huge honor. And I feel like, you know, my not advice, but kind of the thing I live by is just, you know, just really be yourself and find out, you know, who that is and, and what, what your voice is and what specific perspective you have on the world. Because I think that that's incredibly valuable. And I think from a very young age, you know, we sort of get led into thinking um, these things are important and these things aren't important. You know, whether that's, okay, art is not as important as science or, you know, whatever, whatever that process is through education, through the people that we surround ourselves with. Um, and often we sort of squash that inner voice that is like, oh, go there, explore, you know, that thing or, and, and I feel like that's one of the biggest things and that's, you know, applies to everyone. And I think, um, if I have in any ways been kind of, you know, inspiring for, for, you know, women, um, then that's, you know, uh, uh, that, that makes me feel really fantastic. I'm just struck by the, the last answer from both of you, that you both have a lot of empathy uh, for sure, but you actually take it further. You're compassionate. You don't just feel somebody else's suffering. You do something about it. Have you always had this outlook or did something happen which prompted an evolution of how you viewed the world? Well, I mean, everyone's experience is is obviously different. Um, I joined an FGM nonprofit organization uh, three years ago. And what prompted that was a documentary I saw on TV uh, about FGM and um, the screaming sounds mm. coming from a seven-year-old had me frozen in my lounge and I was like horrified. Yeah. I actually felt the pain in my body. Oh. Um, and so... Watching this really made me realize that a child has no voice and no power to defend uh, themselves. And, uh, and that really uh, pushed me to, um, to raise awareness uh, in that subject that no one actually talks about or no one is aware of it. Well, most of them aren't. And so it's an illegal practice um, in the Western world. Yet again, 200 million girls undergo this practice. And in our standard, anyone touching a child is called uh, pedophilia. 
And so this, this made me really angry. Mm. Um, and I got in touch with uh, Leila Hussein, who's a psychotherapist and a social activist, FGM activist. Um, she also writes for The Guardian. And uh, we put a whole campaign together that lasted around two years almost. And I waived uh, a lot of earnings from subscription-based uh, platforms to help, uh, you know, help her in this endeavor. And, you know, this practice is not religious, it's not political, it's just cultural. And it was time to uh, put an end to it. Mm. And so... I use my platform to to help these girls as much as I can, and it's an it's an ongoing battle. Obviously, we just need the government to exercise more power and uh, clamp down on these families that practice these horrific acts. Mm. And so, yeah, I mean, I try to use my platform as much as I can, any way I can. When I believe in it, obviously, um, uh, to help the people in need. That, that's what I do with my platform. Apart from the music, of course. Apart from all the fun and the madness, yes. You're making a profound difference to the lives of, of many young girls affected by this horrendous practice. Where can people find out about this organisation, Nicole? Uh, there's a foundation called Magul. It's pretty much active in helping all the girls. They get calls in the middle of the night sometimes that oh. a sister is calling. They're taking my sister and, you know, they come and help immediately and save these girls from their parents, which, which is insane. Mm. I mean, parents are supposed to be the safety a safety net to any child. Yes. Yet again, these girls don't have it. Yeah. And so who's going to help them? We need to come forward. Yeah. Yeah, well said. We'll definitely uh, share the details for that in the show notes as well. It's a very important organisation to support. Thank you. Beatty, your next innovation is an environmental protest piece built using no less than 800,000 years of historic data that will be premiered at the London Design Biennale in 2021. Talk to us about the work and why the power of art is so important in our age of technology. Yeah, I mean, and also just, you know, coming back to the, that last question, um, because it all kind of connects. Um, I just think, yeah, from a from a young age, I had this sort of feeling about you know being here and we all get to you know be here we all have time on this planet um and i feel like you know it's about doing some good you know whatever that is and what and in whatever way you can um it's sort of contributing in some ways so i think you know from when i was small it was always like well what are you going to leave behind it wasn't really about you know Oh, how well known are you going to be, or how many, how big shows are you going to play, or you know whatever that was. When I realised that I wanted to sort of pursue music and art and all of that, um, so you know the environmental protest piece is, in many ways, a kind of a, a good embodiment of that because it was something that 
I'd felt really passionate about for a long time, but it didn't fit into that sort of trajectory of of reimagining these album designs and, you know, presenting each album in this very, you know, different way. Um, but it was something that always ran alongside that, just like the dementia work. Um, and so, you know, after writing this song over sort of 10 years ago, called From Green to Red after seeing An Inconvenient Truth, just being so struck, you know, by what I was seeing, um, I then created this art piece, which essentially is taking 800,000 years of historic NASA data, uh, specifically CO2 in the atmosphere, and weaving that into a timeline, uh, a, a timeline of the planet so people can actually see, you know, where we are. Um, and that's sort of interwoven with this song and this these visuals, which are, you know, simultaneously a, re, a sort of reimagining of the music video format. Um, a protest song and also, you know, a timeline of the planet. Um, and that's going to be at the, yeah, the London Design Biennale um, next year um, as a uh, physical installation that will be up for the, you know, the whole month. Um, and it just really felt like a way of people being able to see where we are. Um, because, you know, I was sitting with Dr. Randy Wesson, a friend from NASA, and he was showing me essentially these graphs, um, which, you know, were, were kind of presenting the same data, but, you know, you could see how that just wouldn't really go in. And I think the power of art is that it can take, you know, something like data, which is cold and sort of impenetrable, and it can make it relatable and it can make it something that people can really absorb. Um, so that's what this project is really about. Love it. I'm definitely coming next year. Nice. <laughs> Fantastic. Nicole, when you're not making music or campaigning, what kind of things do you like to do in your spare time? Crazy stuff. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, I love chilling on the beach, obviously. It's my favorite pastime, connecting with nature. But... Um, I picked up this hobby four years ago, and that's um, car racing. Wow. I have a whole team, the, like 20 people, engineers that come from Madrid to bring me the car, and we uh, block the track racing. Uh, sometimes it's in uh, Portugal, sometimes it's here in the UK. And we just do laps. My coach is a twice Formula One champion. And uh, apparently I'm fearless. <laughs> <laughs> apparently. <laughs> I'm not surprised. <laughs> so, yeah, I like the thrills of this adrenaline rush that it gives me. It's, it's amazing. And it's uh, very similar to DJing, actually. Mm. Uh, it demands a lot of focus, a lot of attention to detail. Uh, and... Uh, it reminds me when I when I play the 14 hour set sometimes how focused you become and uh, racing is is exactly the same thing. Wow. And so I enjoy that. It's it's uh it's my little hobby on the side. Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. Uh we actually had Carl Cox in a previous episode of Audio Talks and he spoke with immense energy about his passion for great music and driving very fast cars. Yes. <laughs> uh, would you ever uh, have a race with Carl sometime, do you think? Well, we did some bike rides in Melbourne last year. Yeah. Nice. 
out in uh, in the wild. That was amazing, actually. I miss it. We can't do that now, but you know, next uh, next time the world opens, I'm there in a flash. <laughs> 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 nice. Okay. Look out, Carl. That's brilliant. Mm-hmm. Coming back to activism in the music business, have you seen any examples of it that really inspire you? Folks who are using their platform for good, who are making things happen, who are fundraising, a- a- anything that's a really inspiring example to you personally? I came across um, two days ago, Bella Hadid, yeah. by chance. And, uh, and I saw that she was quite active in... Uh, protecting RBG's wishes. And that, I really, really loved that part in her, actually. And it resonated with me. Previous to that, I posted something around RBG, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Mm. And and it was quite upsetting to to see that she's gone and, and that women won't have this warrior protecting them anymore as such in the pejorative sense. We're all affected by her passing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, From a social point of view and women's rights, of course, it's a great loss for us. Yeah, and to see women coming together uh, to protect her wishes and carry it through is, is something amazing. Yeah. To see. Yeah. And Beatty, how about yourself? Is there anybody in the field of music who is inspiring you with their activity around social change and uh, using music to bring people together? There are two people. Um, One of them is actually sadly no longer with us, Um, but her legacy lives on. And and I kind of feel like I have to mention her today because this has always been her day, September 21st. Um, she wrote, you know, the song for Earth, Wind and Fire, September mm. and many other songs. And she was, you know, my my best my best buddy and just a wonderful, joyful human being who imprinted on me so much. Um, and just everything we began the conversation with about music and, you know, and what it can do. She she embodied that, you know, and she knew with songs like September, it was just about giving people a pure shot of joy, you know. So um, her name's Ali Willis and uh, she, yeah, she is sort of forever in my mind as someone who inspires me. Um, And then the other person, you know, I just feel very lucky to be working with is, you know, is Mark, is Mark Motherspar, because he's really of that same vein. You know, just that, that intentionality to really, um, just to really use whatever tools you have to kind of, again, to contribute in some ways. And it doesn't have to be grand and it doesn't have to be that, you know, it's measured, it's only measurable if it's, you know, X or Y. It's just, I feel like people that are just doing some good in this world, you know, right now, um, on a small scale, on a big scale, you know, those are the people who inspire me, where it's not about ego, it's not about instant gratification. It's about the long view because we don't have a long view right now. Everything is so, you know, immediate and and metric driven and, you know, the digital era created access, but it also devalued a lot. And we lost a lot of curation as well in the process. So I just feel like we have to start adopting a long view, you know, and really think, you know, beyond this bubble that we're living in right now. So, um, yeah, I, those are two people that, you know, 
are, I feel, have forever sort of imprinted on me. So if anybody is listening to the podcast and would like to be more proactive in terms of how they support social change, is there anywhere that you would recommend uh, that they go or uh, anything that you recommend that they do straight after listening to this podcast? Okay, well, I mean, I'm sure Nicole will have, Nicole's going to have a much more like, specific concrete answer so i'll give an abstract answer i don't actually <laughs> <laughs> maybe we'll say the same thing but yeah. i feel like people should start at home you know and really look mm. at themselves and look at you know what they're putting their energy into and you know what they're supporting or what they or how they can support more because I think that idea that the individual ultimately, you know, makes up a collective. It's not about thinking of ourselves in terms of individuals in a disconnected way, but it's about realizing that the more we clean out our homes, so to speak, and the more we put our energy in the right place, that can make a world of difference. And so I, I think it's about taking that responsibility and also being appreciative of being on this strange kind of messed up planet at this point in time because there's still a lot of good and a lot of wonderful people and a lot of wonderful um you know movements that I think we can we can be united through I second that follow your heart listen to your truth you know change doesn't happen if if you don't act every little bit counts and whatever your beliefs are, you should stand firm by them for the greater good, as BT just pointed out. Yeah, well said, well said. Amen. Thank you. So it's the final question. It's where we invite you to choose a track for the Audio Talks title playlist and talk about why you chose it. Well, I came across uh, Chloe and Halley. There's a really, really cool song that really lifted my mood. It's called Forgive Me. I came across uh, these two girls and I have to say it's really, really good. Ah, oh, fantastic. Thank you very much. I look forward to checking that out. Uh, and BT, what would be your choice to join our title playlist? Speaking of Ali, she would be furious if I had talked about September and then not given people a chance to, you know, obviously hear it. So I think... Um, because it is the 21st, I think it will have to be September. That's a choice that will never be frowned on in my household or on my headphones, so to speak. <laughs> uh, an absolute slice of musical joy. And my own contribution for the playlist this episode is Come Together by Primal Scream, mm -hmm. produced by the incomparable and much-missed Andrew Weatherall, because it's really a moment of almost spiritual sonic togetherness. So that's been fascinating. That's been inspiring. And I think uh, some of the folks listening are going to go out and make a difference to the world themselves based on your wonderful advice and the stories that you've shared. Thank you both so much for joining us on the Audio Talks podcast, Nicole Mudeba and BT Wolf. Listeners, were you inspired by Nicole and BT? Share your thoughts on social media and let us know. Join me again in two weeks for another great discussion with some more legends of audio. And don't forget to subscribe and tell all your friends all about the Audio Talks podcast presented to you by Harmon. We'll see you next time.